Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia. I'm sitting here with Ben Hunter, our fiction lover, and we're sitting across from Christos Chalkas. Welcome. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Christos, you brought in this book, Damascus, which I've read very quickly and absolutely adore. It is a big and epic in-scope book. Um, I want to thank you for coming in and, and, and giving us your time because this is really an honour. Uh, look, I thank you for that response, Ben. <laughs> that is very, very kind. You should know that Ben was walking around the office this morning going, are you, are you going to be all right for this podcast? Are you good? And I'm like, I think I'm good. I'm just going to wing it. And he's like, okay, that's allayed my anxiety for about 10 minutes. So Ben's a big fan and he's going very bright red right now. I'm sorry, Ben. No, it's good. Um, I think I want to start by uh, asking a favour. Yes. <laughs> um, so you've written this book, Damascus. It is, uh, it's a fantastic novel. Um, what I... What my, my job is as a fiction buyer is to try and imagine um, the, the life of a book buyer, how they would react to these things and you know, what they're going to buy. Um, what I kind of envision is uh, the book buyer wandering into the shop, seeing your name standing right out on that beautiful cover that has the Caravaggio print and it's gorgeous. And they think, great, Chris has got a new book. And then they'll, they'll pick it up and they'll go, it's, it's very different from the slap and barracuda. Um, if you could then just, uh, if say you're in the bookshop, you're hiding behind a, a standee of uh, Elton John books, because it's Christmas, Yep. and uh, you jump out at them and say, don't put it down, here's why, <laughs> what would be that 30-second pitch? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, part of me wants to say because I put my life and, and thought and 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 work into this book yeah. so i mean you know in a way if, I'm, I'm not very good at pictures but i would say that i've really put i've really worked hard on the, on this book but i i would say too that if you like my writing or have you responded to my writing in the past even though this book is set 2000 years ago so that feels of course i'm someone who's known for uh writing about the contemporary world mm. but what connects i think Damascus to, to the other books is a, a search for what makes a good life, how to be an honourable, a good, uh, compassionate person in the, in, in the world. And in a way, my exploration of that is to go right back to um, the foundation of the Christian ethics. So that's why I've chosen St. Saint, Saint Paul, or I'm going to call him Saul, which was his, uh, his Jewish name, and who was probably the most important interpreter of uh, the words of a prophet called Jesus <laughs> 2,000 years ago. And that's, that's really, that's what I think connects the books, is the, um, that, 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 that question, what is a good life? How do you live a good life? Where does it come from? And, and, and I felt like, for a lot of reasons that I, you know, I'm very happy to talk about, that going right back to the foundations of those ethics was the way for me to explore it. In that sense, it doesn't seem like such a big jump from the slap to Damascus. Yes. And, you know, any reader, potential reader picking up this book and going, oh, it's about the, found, the founding of the events surrounding the founding of the Christian church. Like, that religion and that movement and that organisation, I guess, has been responsible for so much of the way that we think and, like, deal with issues like compassion and justice, as you say. So it's... Not as big a jump as we would think. Yeah, I mean, I, 
look, it took... I, I think I need to, to express something about my own history in relationship to, to that church and to those, to those ideas. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the things that was uh, fundamental for me uh, to, to, well, look, to, to explain my, my searching for Paul was that when I grew up in the um, Eastern uh, uh, Christian faith, which is the Orthodox faith. So it was there from a very, very early childhood. But then when I was uh, an adolescent, I, I, well, what I did for the first time is started dipping into theology and starting uh, reading uh, biblical texts. And also I was hungry and I was searching for a way of understanding my place in the world and I also was coming to grips with my own sexuality so back then as an adolescent I think I couldn't I couldn't go beyond the um, prohibitions around homosexuality that are you know that uh, that are there in in St Paul's letters you know particularly in Corinthians Um, it's become uh, we all know it now because of the Israel Falu case (laughs) you know that is the uh, those Mm. are the words that he um he broadcasted to the world uh and i think in a way i was trapped in that understanding of paul and i was trapped in that understanding of christianity myself so there came a point i remember i was 15 i stood up i was in a bible reading group and i just went i can no longer be a christian and for a long long time i had separated myself from from that from that tradition and then i found myself in my late 20s in a moment of and i don't want to it's not make it melodramatic just to uh, this is what any of us anyone listening to this knows these times when you come into a moment of incredible anguish in your life and despair and I was working uh, across the road from a little church and I hadn't been I'd been into you know I'd, I'd gone with my mum and my dad to church but I hadn't really participated in a church and I it was the middle of the day and I walked into this church and I fell immediately to into um into prayer, um, which I hadn't done for a really long time, and it was a release and I, I, um, for me. And there was a there was a Bible there, and I picked it up and and I started reading the letters. And, and you know, whatever your faith tradition, whatever whether you're atheist or agnostic or or a believer in some kind of uh, religious worldview. Paul exi- existed. He lived, <laughs> and so you're reading. You're reading this person's letters. So he's speaking to you from across two millennia, and I, I think that was the moment where I really listened to Paul for the first time and realised there was much more in those words than just the, just that one line about sexuality, and that was over, over twenty years ago. But I think the germ of the book came from that moment. It's really interesting that you've picked up on that character because I've, I kind of had a similar moment with him and, like, I was raised Catholic. I'm not necessarily practising now, but I've always just had that thing in my head of, oh, St Paul, like, Paul is the person responsible for so much of the, the horrendous thought and expression that about, around homosexuality that we have now, that so many people rely on his words to justify their own homophobia. And... I'm really interested in like how you came around to seeing him in that way, in that way, and walking with him instead of, you know. I mean, I think the the, the first thing I did, um, we were talk, talking earlier in terms of uh, 
so the the idea comes right you get you get the 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 idea of um of of a novel and, you, and it's just you don't know where it's going to go but i i had become fascinated just thinking about the roots of christianity and I was thinking how how did this become a world religion what was it in these in these words that that literally changed the world you know that that and we have the words there so a little bit like we we have the quran if you're from the the muslim faith tradition they're there those words they um what was it in those words that moved people that challenged people that made people drop their lives their families their 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 kin to to follow them and so i spent a year i told myself christos you're not going to lift the pen you're not going to write anything you're just going to um read and i i made a decision to to only read texts written between uh, uh it was 450 i'm going to be really precise 450 bc to 300 uh ad and or i was going to read theology or history or philosophy that was about that period and i was of course going to read the bible both the jewish and the and the and the christian uh holy books and in disappearing into uh that reading i just kind of got liberated from the 21st century in a way and it's i could come back to paul without having to think about that history um of the the 2000 years of the institutionalized church i just went right back to the roots and what what was it in these words that are are so powerful and they became powerful for me again and i think that's you know the the most uh illuminating moment was realizing that you can you can immerse yourself in the bible and there may be two or three lines about sexuality particularly in the new testament it is about justice it is about what we owe to the neighbor what we owe to the stranger and i think that one of the awful corruptions of uh these teachings is that that's largely those words are forgotten and we concentrate on the very very small sections jesus didn't write a thing about sexuality <laughs> or didn't well he didn't write he didn't preach a thing about sexuality he preached about um th- loving thy neighbor he preached about um what you owe to to the stranger um sitting alongside you or and and though i had disappeared into uh the ancient world of course those words resonated with what was happening in our world at the moment there's no accident that you know that um i made a decision to call the book damascus yeah and in one sense it's the Dam- damascus moment of the road you know the paul's uh road to damascus moment that gives it its title but also kind of a uh, a reson- an echo um uh, a call across time to what is happening with the refugee and the stranger now into in, in the 21st century you're diving mm. deep into the letters of paul and the biblical text but you're also looking at the non-canonical and gnostic texts as well tell us about that that was one of the in terms of the research period that was uh, you know because I, i thought that i was uh, very much you know i thought i was decently read <laughs> um and i'd heard about the apocrypha and i'd read bits and pieces of the apocrypha but in in doing the research kind of and i realized that there you know in the early church there was a a whole range of writings that became heretical you know once there was the council of Nice Nicaea and to explain to to listeners who um 
because uh, I've been so lost in this world. <laughs> so one, what happened was the Roman world became Christian in the fourth century of the um, of the Common Era. Uh, the the first Christian emperor was Constantine, and there was a a, a council call of all the bishops uh, across the Eastern Mediterranean to to say what were the canonical, what were the correct books of the and gospels of the of the of the Christian religion and the gospels we know now were those that were approved but what got lost to history for a really long time were other versions of christianity and one of the other versions was the gospel of thomas that was rediscovered in the um middle 20th century in uh in egypt by a uh, by a shepherd <laughs> kind of and these books had uh, been uh, they'd been placed in a monastery, they'd become heretical and some, I, I would love to tell that story one day, some monk had secreted them away and they, they include those early Christian texts but they also include, include early Greek philosophy as well that we, that we had thought disappeared. And in, gospel, in the Gospel of Thomas you find a version of, of Jesus' teachings that doesn't include the resurrection. There's an apocryphal tradition that Thomas, uh, and we know Thomas in the Christian uh, uh, canonical uh, texts as the doubter and look I'm not a theologian and I'm not a, ph a philosopher what I am is a fiction writer writer and part of the tradition was that Thomas was Jesus's twin brother and as soon as that became part of my discovery just as a fiction writer I got really excited about what I could do because you can't write a book about faith without writing about doubt that you know that that those two things have to be there um, and that's the drama and the conflict. And so, so Thomas became more and more a central figure that I wanted to explore in, in the book. So in a way, Paul and Thomas are doing battle in Damascus because they're doing battle in my own thinking about Christianity. Yeah. Um, I, love, I love diving deep on doubt in this novel. Um, you know, in your, in your other works that I've encountered, particularly Barracuda, um, what affected me most profoundly was the ability for you to take the reader into an uncomfortable space of shame and desire and aggression um, for great stretches of time to try and understand how people, specifically men, um, come to do the things that they do. Um, in Damascus, you immerse the reader in really graphic scenes of brutal and carnage. Um, you know, the book opens on a very intense scene. Uh, I don't want to spoil everything that happens in this. <laughs> um, but how did you go about crafting those episodes? So <sighs> Over, it's walking so the line between... Because you, you're trying to do so much more than just shock. Yeah. Uh, I... I I think very, very strongly about this book that it is heretical because it isn't the Christian story as we know it, but I don't think it's blasphemous. I, I do think I'm keeping... I'm really sincere. I really want to... Um, that comes across. ...to, to yeah. be uh, clear about that in what I'm doing. I want to... Um, and uh, I think we can talk about it. The opening scene is... A, the opening chapter is, begins with a stoning of a, of a young woman. And, and that really... That... <laughs> It took a lot of redrafting to get this book right. But that opening scene was there right from the beginning. It's a lot of work to get it to where it is now. But in a, in a way, that, that was 
uh, and I will keep talking about this because it's really important to me, the first time that Christianity made any sense, apart from kind of, you know, when you're a little kid, just the supernatural elements, was sure. I had a, a teacher in um, primary school. I still remember her, Ms. Luneman. Um, apart from anything, she was the first uh, teacher who uh, asked us to call her Ms., not Miss, or Mrs. So I kind of, she also brought feminism to me. But <laughs> she told us the story that happens in the um in the in the new testament where uh jesus comes across a a a woman who is about to be stoned for adultery and and says uh if you are without sin then raise your stone and 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 hurl it to um and she had that ability that great storyteller's ability to put us in the place of that woman and what that would have been like and had that ability to convey to very, very small children how how radical and revolutionary and powerful this moment was. And I think that 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 element of Christianity, that foundational message has been with me since that time. I'm talking about nine, ten years old. And so um, I, I had heard as a young kid that this world is a savage place that these people lived in. I think the world can also still be a really savage place for, for so many people who, who live in it. And what I really believe is that there was something in the message of Jesus and then Paul which is an acknowledgement of that savagery and is saying that if we take better care of each other, then we can do something about it. And that's that's really the truth. You don't need the virgin birth. <laughs> you don't actually yeah. need the raising from the dead. You need that's the miracle, I think that is the is the promise of that faith. And that's that's what I that's the kind of the, the, the thing I wanted to keep faith with when I talk about keeping faith with Paul. Um, I think that part of his message or that part of his teaching. In terms of getting you as a reader what I needed to do was say, was try and convince you that almost from the opening page, you are in a world that is 2,000 years ago, that is so very different to the world we live in now. What is the language I'm going to use? What is, what are, just what are the crafts, uh, the skills that, as, uh, that, I, that I have learned from this craft called writing that I can bring to this novel to make you convinced that you're in the world? And, and one of them is smell. <laughs> One of them is – all of it is about the sensory um, – um, uh, It's visceral. Yeah, that's – exact. It's, that's the word. one word I could yeah. say to describe it, someone says visceral. Yeah. And I, I, did want to, I, I did want to place you as a reader right in the middle of that world so you felt that it was um, – that it was real, that you could smell it, you could touch it, you could, you could um, hear it. Yeah. Um, and if – but that took a long, a lot of redrafting to get right. The other part of your question, Ben, was about um, masculinity. So one way yeah, of me, right. I mean, you know, one of the um, moral questions at the heart of contemporary understandings of, of uh, Christianity is, it's, you know, it, it, the misogyny. The, you know, I was writing this book when the Catholic Church was exploding around the, um, the sexual exploitation of children, uh, you know, the, the the words that we have about the, uh, the the early church are all from men, but women were part of this 
of, of this early movement. And for some reason, it did speak to women as well. We know that from the, you know, there is a gospel of Mary Magdalene. We know that if you go into the history, it's been, um, uh, it's been stolen from the, you know, the institutional church has, has, has actually acted to erase this history over, over time. But women were part of this early church. And so I knew I needed to have a woman as part one of the voices in the book. So there, there are, you know, there's Paul and Thomas, but there are the three, three voices that are about encounter with, with these early teachings. And Lydia is a character that occurs in the book of Acts in the canonical uh, New Testament. All we know about her is she was a Greek woman, the first non-Jewish woman to, that Paul brought to, to Christianity mm. or the fellowship. To, to use that the language of the time and I started telling her story because I a little bit like the the questions around sexuality I, I needed to erase the history in a way to that's not right I wasn't writing this book as a t I wanted to write this book and put aside in the initial stages that 2,000 years of history, including the misogynistic history yeah. of the church, and go right back to the beginning. And, of course, just in the way that the question of the refugee and the stranger, uh, the, the question that so confounds us now, made its way into the book too. I think the, the questions of masculinity and the role of men and women has also made its way into the book. But part of that process for me was to go... I am going to put it aside as well. Like I, and I think part of getting to the point, Olivia, where I could walk with Paul is to go, he didn't know what we know now. And I think it's unfair to indict someone for a knowledge and a history that he, he could not, you know, he could not know what, what the church was going to become. All we have are his words. And if you go back to his words, what you have is that astounding moment. And I'm not, you know, I'm, many people have said this, that astounding moment in Galatians where he says, we are not men, we are not woman and we are not man. We are not Greek and we are not Jew. We are not master and we are not slave. We are one. We become one through um Christ Jesus. Now, whatever your religious or non-religious back, that, that that is radical. Uh, it's a mm. radical hope. It's the universal hope, um, and that's that was that's what I wanted to convey to to yeah. a modern reader was how how radical those words were two thousand years ago. I mean, they're bloody radical now, <laughs> yes. let alone yes. two thousand years ago. And trying to answer that question of how this religion overtakes the world. Yep. Um, you get you take us to that place of wholesale suffering of grave mortality um, and of class of patriarchy of pain of violence and then you show us um, the kind of reverence that people could have for defeating well for defeating death the, the resurrection story that spreads like wildfire because that itself is radical. To us now, it just doesn't yep. hit as hard. But you take it there. Oh, look, if I, if I can achieve that, for me, thank you, because if that, that's what you want, is, to, is if, I can, if I can put one reader like yourself there at that moment to understand what it must have been like to hear that, those words for the very first time, then 
then I can hope <laughs> that that I've had um, some success. It's interesting you use the word class because uh, there's a there's a friend of mine, Chris Brophy, who I adore. She she's an amazing reader, and I gave her uh, the penultimate draft of um, Damascus, and she said to me, "You know, everyone's going to say this is signed like your books, but class is at the centre of yeah. of this novel as well." Like what it means to not be of the um, of the elite, to not be of the uh, to be poor, to be to be a slave, because the majority of people who were living in that period in that part of the Eastern Mediterranean they were slaves, and what we don't have are their words. In fact, the only the few letters documents we have about speaking from the voice of slaves are actually in the New Testament. <laughs> they are the the that that's what I discovered. What's your biggest hope and biggest fear for the book? Uh, biggest hope is that it will that a reader will come to it and like all your books that they will enjoy it as as fiction that they that they will go oh that and that, that my biggest hope is that they, that they will say. This writer has is sincere with what he's doing. You know that 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 he has made me think about. And again, whatever your faith tradition, whatever your beliefs, that he's made me take these words seriously, this this movement seriously, this this interpreter of this prophet seriously. That's my biggest hope. And if I can do that, then I would be really overjoyed. Um, I guess my biggest fear is that uh, people will think uh, that I'm being uh, blasphemous for the sake of it. Mm. And, yeah, I guess, yeah, to not, to not take me on faith, really. That would be my biggest fear. Mm. I think there has to be a meeting of sincerity between writer and reader. <gasps> and, but I'm sure you'll manage it. <laughs> I'm feeling you will. I think, I, I mean, I really do, uh, uh, you know, it's so hard to maintain optimism in the current world. I, think. <laughs> I mean, that is a connection between, you yeah. know, the, and in, and in a way, one of the things I discovered in writing, you know, in researching and then writing, you know, trying to get to, uh, you know, uh, what these people were experiencing in their bodies and in their minds. I mean, they thought that, you know, they really did believe the end, the end time was here, that this was going to be the uh, end of the world. And in a way, we're in a similar <laughs> situation with our panics and our justifiable panics about climate and and what is happening in the world so um what do i, I there's so much i want to say about this book so i'm really <laughs> cautious because i could go <laughs> in so gonna, many tangents go on and have so many conversations yes because yeah. <laughs> look the other connection you know i might i'll be really up front with you guys. Oh no, it's not even up front. It's just it, I am a you know I am a man who has emerged from the left. You know if it, that's been, and mm-hmm. that's still something I call myself. But both the things that I find the most inspirational in the left, which are those um, Paulian words about the um, about the universal, mm-hmm. uh, and those things that terrify me most about the left, which is it's in hoping to make paradise on earth you do it at any cost <laughs> you don't think about the um the 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 suffering 
that that aspiration can lead to that that fed into to the writing of Damascus as well like so you know Paul okay another thing that would want from a reader is to 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 actually again regardless of whatever your uh, own spiritual and non-spiritual beliefs are to to, to actually realize that these ethics are still fundamental to how we live in the world now like that that, that we're still being challenged by them mm. I think that's very important too we are well yeah. out of time yeah. oh, sorry about that I just, but, but I just, okay. this has been a really good chat and there's so much more to say I think I think this is a book you're going to be just talking about for the rest of your career yeah you know it's it's huge oh, thank well you done. thank you my friends it's yeah okay <laughs> wish me luck <laughs> you don't oh, we certainly actually my mum's scared that i'll get excommunicated but, <laughs> but i don't think that's i don't oh, i, I mean. think you've got a wider community that's willing to embrace you it would be great for pr <laughs> it would be great not so good for my mum <laughs> <laughs> And for everyone listening at home, you can order your copy of Damascus by Christos Cholkas from Booktopia. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.